a lot of people bury their head in the sand and try to ignore legal because it seems complicated or overwhelming. But I would just kind of cheer on your listeners, your artists, that it does not have to be so difficult. You know, just starting with something simple like adding a privacy policy to your website, thinking about whether you need an LLC or not, you can kind of do it one step at a time and it doesn't have to be that hard. Today's episode is sponsored by the artist incubator. If you're ready to take your current art business to the next level, I have spots available to work with me. To schedule a discovery call, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. That's B as in boy, I as in ice cream, Z as in zebra to apply. It's the Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to the Inspiration Place podcast, an art world insider podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now, your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello, this is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 106 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am so thrilled that you're here. Today, we're talking all about making your art business legal. So in this episode, you'll discover what you need to do first to set up your business, what are the important legal documents you need on your e-commerce website, one of these is required by law, And what the heck is the difference between an LLC, sole proprietary, all that stuff? I don't even think I said it right. And what you really need and what you should do from day one to avoid issues with the name of your website and products. And finally, how being legal protects you, your artwork, and your business. Today's guest is a lawyer who helps entrepreneurs protect their most valuable asset, their intellectual property. She provides legal guidance with copyright and trademark protection, contracts, and problem solving. Along with her team, she loves helping entrepreneurs grow their dream business through smart collaborations and deals. You can find her in Chattanooga, Tennessee, hanging out with her three kids and husband, monogramming and putting glitter on anything that stays still, or sipping a glass of champagne after bedtime. Today's guest also hosts her own podcast, The Legal Roadmap, which teaches business owners how to protect their rights and stay out of hot water. Please welcome to the inspiration place, Autumn Boyd. Well, hey there, Autumn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Miriam. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the reason I invited you is because within one week, I had a potential client, an existing artist incubator member, and my husband's cousin's daughter, who wanted to pick my brains, all basically asking me the same questions. I was like, okay, this is a sign that clearly this is something we should be talking about on the podcast. And I think it's because it's been so long since I first set up my business. This is not something I really think about anymore. So thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, I love talking about this stuff. The question I get asked a lot is, do I need an LLC? (laughs) Is that the one you hear the most too? What's the one that you hear? I hear that one. I hear, do I need to trademark my brand or my name? Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. I hear, what do I do about copycats? A lot of that. Yeah. 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 All of those. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Typically, if I'm working with a new client, like let's say you call me up and you're like, I don't know what I need. 
I don't usually start with an LLC or sole proprietorship or all those questions. I don't think it's the number one thing, but let's start there since you've got questions about it. And by the way, my answer to that, just so people know, it was years before I set up my LLC. Like I was sole proprietor from like the beginning. I didn't think it was a huge deal. I didn't get why I need an LLC. And then the story I shared with you that you know about, the reason I finally did set up an LLC is because my Instagram account got hacked. I'm trying to remember when this was. It was like a good five years ago. But I realized I didn't have a piece of paper that identified Shulman Art legally as my business. I had my tax document said Miriam Shulman on it. They didn't say Shulman Art. So I really didn't have anything to go to Facebook or Instagram and say, yes, I own Shulman Art. Yeah. What would be some other reasons that people really would need an LLC? And then, oh, you know what? Let's let's backtrack. We're going to answer that question. But first, I want you to define what sole proprietorship is versus LLC and how somebody knows what they need. And then we'll yeah. go to the next thing. Absolutely. So as soon as you are selling a product or a service, you're making money from it. And I should say, this is all state law. I am a Tennessee lawyer. So standard disclaimer, none of this is legal advice. Please take this as information. By the way, I did put that in the show notes. Perfect. Perfect. Already. I always which, just which like I to stole, say Which it. I stole from your website. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I better put that in there. Awesome. I forget to say it half the time. All of this that we're talking about when we're talking about a corporate entity is a state law animal. So this is going to be a little different in every state, depending on where you live. And if you live in another country, just ignore all of this because it's totally different in other places. But in most states, as soon as you are selling any kind of product or service, you're making money, you have a business. And usually the default kind of whether you do anything or not is that you are a sole proprietor. So if I'm Mary Joe and I have an Etsy shop for fun and I've only sold one painting this year, I have a business, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Like it or not. And if I'm just giving art away for free, that's not a business, correct? Uh, yeah, that makes okay. sense. Okay. All right. <laughs> just didn't want to establish that. Yes. No, I like it. So let's say you've sold your first painting in Etsy. You have a business and what your state typically will do is it's a sole proprietorship. What that means is there's no difference between you and your business. You're kind of one and the same. So when we think about, do I need an LLC or a corporation? The advantage of that is it keeps anything that goes wrong in the business. So let's say somebody doesn't like your painting and they want to send it back or it falls off the wall and hurts somebody or you have a studio and someone comes in, slips and falls and gets hurt. All these things that you could potentially get sued for or someone could come after you, make a claim. What an LLC or a corporation does, and they, they do this the same way, so there's no difference, is they, I like to say, they build a fence around your business. So anything that goes wrong in the business someone can come after whatever assets you have in the business. If you have a business bank account, if you have any equipment, any real estate that's owned by the business, they can get that, but they can't get your personal bank account. They can't get your personal car or your personal home. If you're a sole proprietor, you don't get that fence. They can come after everything you've got. So usually when we think, do I need an LLC? Do I need a corporation? We're talking about risk. Like what's mm -hmm. the risk? Something's going to go wrong. What is somebody going to come after you for? Now there can be tax benefits to forming an LLC or corporation. I am not a tax lawyer. So I just say that to alert you that once you start making, you know, more than a couple hundred dollars, it's time to sit down with a tax expert and, you know, run those numbers and see if there are benefits there. But it could also be some people just make it makes them feel legit. It makes them feel like they're a real business if they have an entity 
or like Miriam said, you know, you wanted some proof that you really were a business, that it wasn't just this thing I made up. That you had, yeah, 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 like this is my Etsy, my, my Instagram account for fun. Yeah. But I, I do want to also say that one of the first things I did do was create my own bank account. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting what you said that doing that is not what protects my yeah. money. Okay. That just is so that I knew what was, you know, with my husband's money, what was ours was mine, but what's mine is mine or... What's ours and ours is ours. Right, what's ours is ours, what's mine is mine. Okay, so I wanted to make sure what mine was mine. So once you have a business, now you have to pay tax on the profits. So setting up a separate bank account is a good idea, even if you're still a sole proprietor, because it kind of keeps everything separate. It makes figuring out what money came through the business and what money maybe came from somewhere else. But that's bookkeeping. You can do that with one account. It's just much simpler if you have it separate. Yeah. a lazy woman's way of doing it. That's right. Okay. I'm all about simple. I know. Okay. So now we established the difference and why you would want an LLC. Who sets that up? Because I think you, ha- you gave a very important tip to my students about that inside the Artist Incubator. Yeah. So you've got a couple options. You can do it yourself. In most states, it's pretty simple. California and New York are a little bit trickier, but in most states, it's an online form that you fill out. It's a filing fee of maybe anywhere from 100 to a couple hundred dollars, and then you're kind of off to the races. You can work with a lawyer, and I would say if you have a partner, if you've got a more complicated business, definitely sitting down with a lawyer is a good idea. Some accountants will do it for you. So there's no, there's no rule. Lots of different people can do it for you. I would not recommend like a legal Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> which is basically a glorified form. You're kind of paying them to walk you through it. But like in Tennessee, it's super duper easy. It's a, a very simple online form. I do it for my clients just because they don't want to be bothered with it, but most people can do it on their own. Okay, that sounds great. Yeah. How does being legal protect your artwork? Does that protect people from copywriting or is there something else we have to do? Like somebody's now copies me. So let's use the Etsy example and somebody copies me on Etsy. So LLC doesn't protect me against that, right? Correct. I need, yeah. what, what do I need then? So when we're thinking about copying your work, creative works like art are protected by copyright in the United States. And the awesome thing is that we have automatic protection. So as soon as you, you know, paint it with a paintbrush as soon as you draw it digitally or it it can't just be an idea in your brain like, oh, I'm going to paint a picture of the Eiffel Tower with this background. It has to actually be onto, you know, some sort of medium. But once it is, you have automatic copyright. So you own all the rights in it or whoever creates it owns all the rights in it. The problem is under our laws, you can't actually do anything with those rights until it's registered with the copyright office. Mm. So that is, again, it's a simple online form. It's a $65 filing fee. It's not super expensive or complicated, but that is required before you can file a lawsuit. So most of us are never going to file a lawsuit. It's incredibly expensive. But let's say you want to file a takedown notice with Etsy or you want to you know, send a cease and desist letter to that person. It makes it much stronger if you have that copyright registration because they know if you're needing to sue them that you actually could. Like you could go to court the next day and file that lawsuit. If you don't have that registration, it's pretty clear, you know, then you'd have to take all those steps, wait. It can take six to nine months to get a copyright registration certificate. It's not quick unless you pay a lot of extra fees. So I do recommend that for your more popular work if you're worried about being, you know, ripped off. How much did you say it costs per registration? Like $65. $65. Copyright office. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So now there was so a question. Up if you've got a, a bunch, a bunch of work. <laughs> yeah. So now this is, this was like, I had heard when I went to, I forget if it's Surtax or Blueprint or one of those big convention thingies. And they were talking about, so for artists who create designs for a living, that could be really expensive mm-hmm. to have to copyright every design. So what they were recommending was that you could submit a collection as a copyright. Is that true? Because I think it was a little bit confusing when we were talking about whether or not you could do that. Okay, she's yeah. nodding her head vigorously. <laughs> <laughs> it is possible. There are some really strict rules around it, and I'm not going to get into the weeds of that, but I will just say if you're wanting to register a collection, call an attorney because it's very easy to mess it up. They're supposed to be either all unpublished, which means you haven't released them at all, or you know, all published in, at the same time. So that's a little bit tricky. Okay, now I save myself. The, I, I already <laughs> forgot what the number is. Let's just call it, say $50 per image. But now I'm set back a couple hundred dollars to hire an attorney. Is right, that right? right. Yeah. yeah, you're still going to save over, you know, paying that $65 filing fee for 100 pieces of yes, work. Yeah, that is true. Okay. Yeah. Now, the other thing that we want to talk about is insurance. So that runs into we're the legal stuff too, right? We're, so we're sexy, just going Miriam. through it. I know. Oh go through all the things. (laughs) So here's something that a lot of people actually don't ask me about. They don't ask me, Miriam, do I need insurance? (laughs) By the way, they do not. But however, I know that this has happened to me several times where I've gone to a show and they said, you're required to get fire insurance or booth fee insurance. And these are usually, for, for those of you who are not familiar, when, when you apply to these art festivals, and I know, unfortunately, a lot of these are not happening right now, but in the future, we will be we again. Will rise again. So there are two different shows. There are shows that are very expensive, and my clients are always asking me, are these shows worth it? And then there's the cheaper shows where they're asking you now to pay for your own insurance. So, Adam, could you shed some light over what these more high-end shows are actually covering for the people who participate in them versus the ones who make you buy insurance themselves? Like, what is the protection there that the insurance covers? So, when we think about insurance, again, we're thinking about risk. So, what are Mm. the things that could go wrong? And really, there's kind of two sides of the coin for art shows. So, you have the risk that your artwork could be damaged. Yeah you know, that's on you. That's your problem. So, but there is insurance that you can get in case your artwork is damaged, in case somebody bumps into it or spills a drink on it or whatever. Catch it. You know, if they're they're smoking and they, they, they burn their cigarette into your... Yeah. Or if the building catches on fire and all of your artwork goes up in flames. These are worst case scenarios, but they do happen. So it's not... Yeah. I'm like trying it's to scare off the evil the, spirits. I know. <laughs> like I my know. grandmother used to do. But it is poo, like, poo, 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 I poo. see all the bad stuff. So I'm sharing yeah. all the bad stuff. So that's one thing. Protecting your work is one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is what the festival or the art show is worried about, which is that you do something wrong. You have a candle in your booth. You knock it over. You burn down the building or you damage other people's work or other people's equipment. And so usually the insurance that they're requiring you really protects the festival or the show. It's not protecting you. Oh, they don't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about your artwork. They want to make sure you're not going to damage the facility, the show, you know, whatever. So usually the insurance is actually covering them, not you. And it's usually, Mary, me talked about this. It's kind of, you can get a one-time policy or you can sometimes get a year-long policy if you're doing lots of shows. 
this is something where it's a good idea to go ahead and start a relationship with an insurance agent that you can talk about, you know, what's the most cost-effective way to do this. Okay. And am I then maybe wrong to assume that some of these higher end shows are insuring me? Like, what is it that I should be looking for, asking for when I'm making determination, even if they're not requiring me? I'm more aware of this because there are certain shows that says, yes, you have to provide fire insurance. You have to show us a certificate that you have it. What do I look for to make sure that I'm covered if they're not requiring me, that they do have insurance that covers their participants? Did yeah, I you, right? yeah, yeah, you want to read the contract. So there okay. should be some sort of booth rental or participant contract. And if they're covering you, it will say it. And if it doesn't say that, or if you don't have a contract, then you should presume you're not covered, that it's, it's on you. You know, you set up your tent booth and some crazy person rolls it over. <laughs> you want to make yeah. sure you're protected. That's right. Okay, That's right. God forbid. By the way, I wanted to make sure you knew that I do have room inside my Artist Incubator program. If you're lacking a solid strategy or a winning mindset or both, or you've been disappointed with your current art sales, I can help with that. If you've been listening to this podcast and you found my tips helpful, maybe it's time to take the next logical step and work with me on a deeper level. The Artist Incubator Program is for professional artists who want to take their art business to the next level. If you're ready to invest in your art career and join a dynamic community of artists who are doing the same thing, you can go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz to apply now. There's no fee. There's no commitment to apply. And those who qualify get a discovery call with me. And I do want to emphasize that this is not a sales call. I only want to work with people who are already sold on working with me. What we'll talk about is your desires, your goals, the next step you need to take to get there. And if I feel I'm the right person to help you with that, I will share the details about the Artist Incubator Program during our call together. So to schedule your discovery call, go to shulmanart.com forward slash biz. Now back to the show. There is another question I get asked a lot. It's about the song lyrics. Uh, yes, you get asked that a lot, right? Yes. Okay. We, know we all get inspired by your lyrics and pretty quotes and making quote art is very popular, mm-hmm. but it's not all up for grabs, is it? All these lyrics and quotes. You know, Miriam, this is the worst answer that lawyers always give, which is it depends. Yeah, we'll explain that. Song lyrics are protected by copyright. So just like your paintings, they're a creative work. But in copyright law, you have to have enough enough of a work that it actually is considered a work. So like a sentence may or may not be enough that it is considered a whole work or like three words or five words may not be enough. There's no black and white rule, but I would say if it's just one sentence, it's probably not protected by copyright. Like the word yesterday probably isn't protected. (laughs) Exactly. But if I put the whole first verse, that would be... Right, right. Yeah, exactly. But where the trick comes in, now we get into trademark law. So trademark protects brands. So think about like the name of a company or a slogan or a logo. You know, trademark law protects how you identify where a product or a service came from. So what a lot of artists have done, Taylor Swift is notorious for this, is they want to put song lyrics on merch. So they will register them as trademarks if they're well-known. So you may have something that's too short to be protected by copyright, but it may actually be protected as a trademark. 
It depends. This is always a little bit of a risk whenever you're using other people's stuff, whenever you're doing something that you didn't come up with yourself. Yeah. It's always a minor risk. So you can do some Googling. You can see, you know, is the songwriter or the artist who made the song, are they selling stuff with that quote on it? That mm-hmm. might be an indication that they consider it to be protected. You know, do a Google and you may see, are people talking about getting takedowns? I think if you're on Etsy, there are some artists that are really aggressive or some record companies and there are other, you know, the Beatles are definitely one of them. Disney is very aggressive. There are others that just kind of live and let live. So it's going to depend on the the owner. It's going to depend. Yeah. And know. don't think just because you've only had one sale on Etsy that they won't find you. Basically, these big companies have armies of unpaid interns whose only job is to search for copyright infringement. Yeah. And they will go after it because you are interfering and competing against their rights to make money. And Taylor Swift, I imagine, has no problems paying, I forget what the number was again, the $65 for every copyright (laughs) registration for all her songs. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because it's lucrative to her to be able to have ownership of all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So So it depends. You can try it. But I think, you know, if you're selling on Etsy, the more takedown notices you get, you know, that will affect your account after a certain amount of time if you're constantly getting infringement violations filed against you. I did have a little bit of hot water, not on Etsy because I'm too old for that. (laughs) When I was on eBay. (laughs) Same thing. Yeah, right. Same thing. But the two things that I came into trouble with was one, I was creating cartoon pictures of webkins. Do you remember webkins? Yeah, those little toys. Yeah. Yes. So sketched them basically. I would sketch them and there were these adorable little watercolor cartoons. But the problem was I think in using the word webkins to describe it. Yeah. So it is so it's actually trademark, but it's tricky. So even though the image was original and mm-hmm. not that was not a copyright infringement. Could you explain? So we're all both nodding our heads and we know what we're talking about, but could you explain why that was legally a problem? Yeah. So they own the trademark in the brand name Webkins. People are searching for Webkins and the company that owns that wants you to find their stuff. So it can not be- Miriam Shulman's <laughs> not Miriam Shulman's adorable watercolor. They- want to kind of maintain their brand integrity. They want for consumers to find their stuff when you're searching for their trademark. And it can be confusing. Let's say Autumn is searching for a Webkins for my kids because I got three of them. They need all kinds of toys. Do they still like Webkins? Is that still a thing? I don't know if it's a thing. I don't think it's a thing anymore. (laughs) Anyway, let's say Older people will know what we're talking (laughs) about. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But so let's say I'm searching and instead of finding the Webkins that I'm looking for, I'm finding all this other stuff that's not actually sold by the Webkins company or whoever it is that owns Webkins. So for them, that's not great because they want their customers to find their stuff. So that's the whole goal of trademark law is to keep customers, you know, to basically help them find what they're looking for. So when I go to the grocery and I want a can of Coke, I know what it tastes like. I know what I want. And so if Pepsi, if the can looks just like the Coke can, that's very confusing to me. It makes it hard for me to find what I'm looking for. If you're using their brand name, it's saying that they're endorsing Yeah, it's it. almost like, yeah, or you're affiliated with it. You're like right. an official, and I'm, official and I artist. I wasn't. I was gone rogue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So by the way, with that particular thing, I had like 10 different auctions running and the first one they gave me a warning, but because I had nine other, 
it like I was like taken down like within 24 hours and I, I had my account frozen. The other thing that had happened to me, so this is something most people may not know about. Do you know the glass artist Dale Chihuly? Of course, yeah. So I was making these beautiful, of course, I'm describing all my own art as beautiful. It's amazing. Just yes. notice how I do that, by the way. So you I, can't be your own hype man. Oh, I mean, right. I mean, come on. There was this really wonderful exhibit at the Botanical Gardens. He's been there recently. So this is before that. I think this was 12 years ago. And I took my own photographs and I created watercolors of these beautiful colored glass. So, so for those who don't know, Dale Chihuly, very famous glass artist, but also notorious for suing people. Again, on eBay, I was creating this artwork and saying paintings of Dale Chihuly glass. Now, this time I was not taken down. This time I got an email, not a cease and desist letter. It was an email from their publicist politely asking me to stop. Mm -hmm. Now, what I imagined was that Dale Chihuly, it was not trademarked the name. And that's why they were asking me rather than more aggressively. You know, you've got options. And I talk about this with my clients when we do find a copycat or a trademark infringement. And sometimes we will start very nice, just like you said, because sometimes people don't know any better. Sometimes they did it by accident. But it was the, the benefit of the doubt. Okay, but it but the content was just like, would you please not? Not mm-hmm. like you violated your right. Your so sometimes we start there, and okay. then the next letter, if you ignore us, <laughs> <laughs> then the next letter is like, we assert all rights in this, and you have violated. Blah, 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 blah. In both cases, and you can discuss this. The problem wasn't that I was creating a painting of the problem. Oh, that is it, that is also a problem. <laughs> it, well, it it could be. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. But the problem was for, for Dale Chihuly's publicist who contacted me, they didn't care that I had a painting of it. They cared that I used it in the title. Because mm-hmm. it's uh, the same thing. He wants, I don't know if he's selling on eBay or if he was, but he wants anybody who's looking for his work to find his work, not to find Miriam's beautiful watercolor of his work. <laughs> I just wondered though with that situation, if it was something that I, I was not about to build my whole career around painting Dale Chihuly's mm-hmm. glass sculptures. But let's pretend it was. Yeah. I'm just wondering if that was something that could have fallen into fair use. Probably not. That is oh, probably. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's probably a copyright infringement. The owner of a work, so Dale Chihuly. Miriam. <laughs> I know. Okay. We, we live and learn. When you create a work, you not only have the rights to control the copying of that work and the distribution and the, you know, taking images of that work, but you also have the right to do what are called derivative works, which you guys may have heard of in the art world, which means a work based on another work, basically. So your watercolor of his glass sculptures is technically a derivative work. So only he gets to decide who gets to make watercolors of Mm. his works. Now, if you had asked him nicely... Maybe he would have said yes. You never know. So I always say ask permission. Yes. And you never know. Sometimes people will say yes. But if not, you're always taking a little bit of a risk. It could be fair use, but usually fair use, and I'm not going to get, it's like a multi-factor balancing test. I'm not going to get into that. But think about, did you make something totally new and different? 
Mm. Like, did you create some sort of collage that was a commentary on the state of botanic gardens in America? You know, <laughs> I mean, think about right. like no, criticism, no, parody. Not. Like, what, what's beautiful yeah. about it is really because of the glass. Of course, yeah, ball. yeah. And I'm doing yeah. a representation. Of, yeah. So of where it's that, that or if it's you know just kind of doing it in a different medium, that's usually kind of borderline. I stopped doing it. <laughs> On, on I eBay, go on eBay and find Miriam Shulman. Okay. No, 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 it's in some private collections, though. I mean, I did, of course, sell before I was asked to stop. That just brings me to one more thing because what you said there is a sculpture garden, Storm King Art Center, in I want to say it's in Kingston, New York, but they actually say you're not allowed to photograph the sculptures, and yeah, I think it's for that why. reason that you just said. They control the images. And I think it's also what we were saying earlier is that if people are monetizing the images, they don't want somebody else competing against them. Right. Yeah. Maybe they sell them in the images in the gift shop on postcards and they want you to buy theirs. They they do. Yeah, they do. (laughs) They don't want you taking your DIY pictures and posting it on Instagram. Although I I do think that's something that happens even though they... Yeah. Well, here where I live in Chattanooga, I'm like, I can see it from my window. We have a beautiful sculpture garden that's on the river and they just charge photographers a fee. So you can come in, you can take photos, but you're going to pay for it. And that also cuts down on people who want to just enjoy the sculpture garden and having to weave around a bunch of photographers trying to... <laughs> that's true. Like all yeah, the selfie Portrait sessions. Yeah. yeah. So I had promised a couple of things and we may have hit upon it. So we're just going to do like a wrap it round right? through my different bullets. What are the important legal documents you need on your e-commerce website? So e-commerce being your website, your Etsy shop, your whatever it is. So if you're on somebody else's platform like Etsy, you don't have to worry about this as much. But if you have your own website, required by law is a privacy policy. Got one. (laughs) Yes. So this is where if you are collecting information from anyone, that means if you sell them something, you need their shipping address, or if they opt into your newsletter list, or if you have like a free digital something, they can give you their email address and you send it to them. Any personal information you're collecting, you have to tell them what you're going to do with that information. Are you going to just keep it in your own business? Are you going to sell it to a third party? Are you going to you know, spam them for other things? It's required by law. So And there's very specific things that are required to be in there. I don't recommend that you try and do that by yourself. Buy a template. We have one. There's lots of them available. Yes. Um, Just make sure that you kind of hit all of the points that are required. I have listed Autumn's template in the show notes. So you can find the show notes at shulmanart.com forward slash 106. I did buy my template. I also want to strongly encourage you not to take somebody else's privacy template and copy it. Because, right. Yes. And, Just like there are armies of interns that go looking for infringements, one of my dear friends had told me, don't don't just do that because some lawyers actually do a search periodically for their words to find unauthorized usages. I guess you don't do that. But (laughs) there are some people who do, (laughs) right. And you don't you just don't want to get caught that way. And you know what, it's not that expensive. So Yeah. So number one is your privacy policy required by law. Number two are your terms and conditions not required, but a good idea. This is where you can tell people, I own the copyrights and all the images and words on my website. Please do not use them without my permission. Or here's how you contact me if you did want to, you know, feature my work on your blog or whatever. 
And it can kind of be a placeholder for other things like disclaimers. If you've got any required things like I am not, maybe you're using eBay, but you say I'm not affiliated with eBay mm-hmm. or like with Dale Chihuly, I'm not affiliated or endorsed by him. I just enjoy his work. You know, you can include some of that stuff. It can kind of be a catch-all. So terms and conditions are a good idea. And I will say if you're selling your art from your website, whether it's digitally or the actual physical pieces, you're probably going to want to have whatever your terms are, terms of purchase. So maybe shipping times or your refund policy, telling your purchasers either, yes, you're allowed to, you know, repost images of my work or no, you're not, you know, can they use it as their Christmas card if they really love it or put it on social media? You know, if you have any restrictions around how people are using your art that can all go in your terms of purchase. So that's another good idea to have. And if you're building an online art class, because that's something we've been talking a lot about lately, Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. super important to make sure that you are clear with this, not just that you have some tiny print someplace, but both you know what you want your students to do and not to do with Mm -hmm. what you're teaching them and that they know what they are allowed to do and not do with what you're teaching them. Absolutely. They should have the option or the opportunity to read it before they purchase. (laughs) And then ideally, in my perfect world, I want like a checkbox that they have to say, I accept these terms and conditions or I agree. You want them to take some affirmative action that says, you know, whether they read it or not, (laughs) that says, you know, you give them the opportunity and then it's their choice, but they're agreeing whether they read it or not. And then if questions do come up later, you have that proof. You know, I I always think if I had to go in front of Judge Judy (laughs) and show that, yes, Miriam did agree to my terms of use, how am I going to show that? And if you've got, you know, they have to do something affirmative, that's ideal. Now, I do know that you have a program that actually helps online course creators. Can you tell a little bit more about that? I do. Yes. So we have, it's our own course and it includes the five most essential templates for any online course creator. So it has all the stuff for your website, has your course terms of use, has an independent contractor agreement if you need help with things, and then also an affiliate agreement. So it's kind of got all the basics to get you started. And then we have videos that walk you through how to fill them in, kind of giving tips and tricks, not legal advice, but it makes it very easy for you to set those up on your own. And then we have monthly support calls. So kind of Q&A, just like this. That's great. Yeah. have a question. Yeah. If you're filling something in and you're not sure what to do, we do Q&A for that as well. And that's on our website at awbfirm.com slash course. Thank you. I've also, again, included that link in the show notes, shulmanart.com forward slash 106. So we're about to wrap up, Autumn. Thank you so much for being here with me today. That's a great question. So it's always fun. I mean, I have a zillion more, but we only have an hour. (laughs) Autumn also graciously came into the Artist Incubator Program so that the coaching program students could ask her anything they wanted to. So we covered a lot of stuff in there. Contracts. Yeah, um, painting on consignment, things out there. Yeah. Lots of things. And anyone who joins the Incubator Program does get access to that replay as well as get access to guests like Autumn. From time to time, I do invite my podcast guests into the Artist Incubator. So if you like this episode, you have to check it out. It's my private coaching program. It's for artists who really want to take things to the next level. It is by application only. That's to make sure we're a good fit for each other. When you apply, go to shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. It's not too complicated. I just want to get to know you. We set up an interview to talk. This is not a sales call. It's a discovery call. I ask you about your goals 
I want to know what's holding you back. I share with you what I believe are the steps you need to take to get there. And then if I feel I'm the right person to help you, then I will share with you details about the program. And that is all free. And then we can talk about how we can work together in the future as part of the Artist Incubator program. Again, to apply for a call, shulmanart.com forward slash B-I-Z. All right, Autumn, do you have any last words for my listeners before we call this podcast complete? Yes. A lot of people bury their head in the sand and try to ignore legal because it seems complicated or overwhelming. But I would just kind of cheer on your listeners, your artists, that it does not have to be so difficult. You know, just starting with something simple like adding a privacy policy to your website, thinking about whether you need an LLC or not, you can kind of do it one step at a time and it doesn't have to be that hard. No, these templates really do make it super easy. And this is from a girl who does not like paperwork. (laughs) at all. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for being with me here today. You know what? I would really appreciate if you left a review and let us know what you thought of the show. And I've made that so much easier for you. All you have to do is go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash inspire. And if you pop your Instagram handle inside the review, I'll even give you a shout out over on my IG stories. If you're international though, you may have to like send me a quick email or direct message because I don't always see those international reviews and I do want to make sure that I thank you properly. Okay. Thank you so much for being with me here today. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. 